0: Hey, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the kinds of stories that I love the most are stories about uh, people who, you know, step into a really bad situation and change it, uh, or make a difference in it, uh, or or start a a significant change. I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you, you might have read the book in school to kill a mockingbird. Okay, hold your hand. Anybody see the movie? Okay, probably more people saw the movie. It's always easier to see the movie. Uh, but To the, the, the kill, the kill a Mockingbird is one of those stories. The reason why it, it's so well loved is the, the story is about a man, uh, an attorney, and this in this southern town that was full of racism and injustice. Uh, this one man. Atticus Finch, uh, his life and the impact he had is told through the eyes of, of his daughter, Scout. And in the story, uh, there's all kinds of things going around, but there, there's kind of a climactic moment in the story where an African-American man named Tom Robinson is falsely accused of rape by a, a girl and and her father. And, you know, the whole town is gets behind this, this false accusation, and there's a trial. And it's, it, this trial is just, is just amazingly interlocked with the, the whole cultural scene and all these dramas, you know, they, they kind of come together in the trial. And Atticus Finch, all through the movie, he is this voice uh, for truth and for love, uh, for, for listening for all kinds of virtues, which, you know, weren't in, in plentiful supply at that time. But at the end of the movie, it, it's just this, you, you come away from the movie just feeling like, wow, I have hope. And it, and it wasn't like, you know, racism in the South just went poof, uh, you know, when everyone read To Kill a Mockingbird or or anything since then. But what what it does is those kinds of stories... They are the they're the 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 echo they're the reflection they're the shadow of what Jesus does. He comes into terribly wrong situations and he transforms them and it's not just there isn't just hope that something will change in the future there is a dramatic impact. And I want to read you a story today. I mean, every gospel story is, is like this, but, but Jesus comes into a situation in his day and time. He confronts a situation in his day and time, which, you know, it's one of those sorts of situations that, that is always present and is always uh, broken. And so if you have a Bible with you, open it to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. And Jesus is going to. Field a question. From some religious leaders. And he's going to answer their question. It's going to. There's going to be this dialogue. Back and forth between him and them. And then him and his disciples. and, And in a sense. Him and us. And there's. There's something really powerful in this story that speaks to us now. But I wanna I wanna take you as we read the story, I wanna just give you a real simple explanation about what was going on at the time so that you can kind of get a grasp of what Jesus was confronting. Because it's we there's things that have changed since that time about the subject he was dealing with, and then there's things that haven't changed. And I think you're gonna see what's changed and what What hasn't changed here. So let's start reading in uh, Matthew chapter 19. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Now I want to stop there for a second. There's two things. I just want you to keep this in mind as we read this because this just sounds like the introduction story once upon a time there was but the two things that that this story starts with and then ends with you have to keep in mind Jesus is on this healing mission he is healing people everywhere and the Pharisees these religious leaders they represent in uh, and, and, and one sense, they represent the Jewish culture in many respects. Now, the, the Jewish culture wasn't monolithic. It wasn't just, you know, everybody was just like these people. But they spoke for the voice of their culture about family. And that's what we're going to look at here, family. They spoke the viewpoint that everybody had, it, except for the people who were Jews and name only and weren't really a part, and that was a whole other thing. But they looked at family in an interestingly similar way to these these religious leaders, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were coming to test Jesus because they had already heard Jesus talk about family in a way that clashed with their view, okay? And they were coming to test him. And what you're going to see in this is When we try to test Jesus, it always backfires on us. And this isn't one of those moments where we go, oh, he got him, you know, kind of thing. You're not supposed to think that way because you're going to hear your voice. We're all going to hear our voice and the voice of these religious leaders. Because their view of family and our view of family and marriage is the same. It may take a second to see that. But Jesus was coming, and he was saying, this isn't working. This doesn't work the way God wanted this to work, and it's causing tremendous pain. And I want to come and heal that. But a lot of times when the Lord wants to come and bring healing into our lives, we push back. And and the pushback looks different from person to person and from situation to situation. So, I, I know it's hard sometimes when you hear the word Pharisee, because I always say this, everybody wants to boo and hiss. But the Pharisees really oftentimes represent us. And so you have to keep that in mind as we're reading this. So back to the story. The large crowds are following, and the Pharisees come to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So here's Jesus' answer. Haven't you read, he replied? And of course they'd read it, but they'd read it and they hadn't gotten it. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, and keep, hold that phrase in mind, for this reason, because Jesus doesn't say it, but they all knew it. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, they didn't exactly buy this, even though they they read what Jesus read. They hadn't read it and heard it, because our culture, the the the, the world we live in, puts lenses on us through which we see and hear. God's truth. And sometimes those lenses filter out things. Just like you go outside and you can buy sunglasses that filter out UV rays. Like you put sunscreen on, it filters out the UV rays so you don't get uh, skin damage. Our culture can put lenses on us that filter out the impact of of things that are staring us in the face. So these these religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus' answer. So they said, why then? They asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Hold on to that. This is is the big problem. When we think about family and marriage, it's hard hearts are at the root of the problems and the pain that we see. He says, but it wasn't. This way from the beginning, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, I think they grabbed their heads and said, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. (laughs) What? They're going, what? A lot of couples are laughing here. Okay. Okay. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For some are eunuchs. And he's talking about single people. And he says some, some single people were born that way. They're not going to get married. Others were made that way by people. Some, some people renounce marriage because of the kingdom. The one who can accept this should accept it. And I'm going to tag on these next three verses because it, it, it closes this. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those it brought them. In other words, the word rebuke, it doesn't just mean uh, like people think when you're casting out demons, you're supposed to say, I rebuke you, right? No, (laughs) to to rebuke is to stop. So you're supposed to say, demons, stop it and leave. You don't, I rebuke you. They they go, what does that mean? (laughs) He's telling the disciples, the disciples are going, stop bringing these children to Jesus. And in other accounts of this, Jesus, he rebukes them and says, stop telling them to stop coming to me. But there's this picture that's the end of this story, which is a picture of something that God's doing and wanting to do that that bookends this story. So again, disciples rebuke those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went from there. So they were blessing the little children. Now I want to tell you something. You know, a lot of us have learned this from listening to the Bible Project. The whole Bible is a unified whole. It's a unified narrative that points to Jesus. And all through the Bible, stuff later on in the story references stuff that happened at the beginning. Words people, motifs, themes. And if you read Genesis 1, it says God made men and women and he blessed them. He blessed the little children, Adam and Eve. And then he gave them a purpose. And then they went, it all went sideways. And I want to tell you for a second what was going on in the first century. Um, Years ago, I read uh, a book by Rodney Stark uh, called The Rise of Christianity. And he's a sociologist. Uh, he used to teach at uh, University of Washington. Now he's at Baylor. And here's what he said, just to, to give you just a quick glimpse about the world that Jesus lived in. What was family and marriage like then? Because this is the context Jesus is speaking into. This, the Pharisees are speaking for that world. And we don't always know what that world was like. And why Jesus was addressing it and challenging it. But here's what he said. Uh, Rodney Stark says, In the Greco-Roman pagan world, legal marriage was reserved for citizens. And while a wife shared her husband's station as the mother of his children, she and their children were his. He owned them. Whereas wives were prohibited from committing adultery, no obligation to sexual fidelity existed for husbands. Prepubescent girls were often forced to marry older men, and husbands could compel their pregnant wives to have abortions, which in the ancient world almost always was a death sentence for young mothers. Moreover, infanticide was commonplace, with girl babies disproportionately abandoned, resulting, and according to figures from Roman census data, at that time there were 131 males per 100 females in the city of Rome, and 140 males per 100 females all through Italy, Asia Minor, North Africa. So what he was saying was that men were privileged in, in marriage. And men could if literally, and this is part of what the Jewish rabbis were debating was, uh, there were two schools of, of thought and two schools of interpretation, in uh, broad schools of uh, Shammai and Hillel were ancient rabbis. And one of them said, uh, divorce should be really rare. And the other one said, no, uh, marriage is a mess. People should, you know how, how messy it gets. People should be able to get divorced for almost just any and every reason. And so Jesus was confronting this. Now, you may think, well, that, that sounds like the biblical issue. You know, Jesus said it wasn't. But he did say something about there's exceptions for divorce. Now, when we talk about divorce, some of you have been divorced. Don't hear this and, and allow shame to, to close your ears to hear what Jesus is saying. Because you know, divorce is not the unpardonable sin more, any more than any other sin is. But it's hard, you know, a, a lot of times to talk about this subject, even though it's a big subject in the Bible. Because we feel bad about things. And that's part of what Jesus is trying to get to with them. Is he wants there to be a blessing on our lives And he wants us to be able to be free of the shadow of divorce, not because nobody ever gets divorced, but because we start recognizing the dynamics that are at work that break up families. And at the root of that is hardness of heart. And he wants us to see that that he has an answer for that. But, you know, to so to speak, to experience the healing that he's bringing, there's something we have to embrace. When he said at the end, when the disciples said, "If this, if this, what you your view of marriage is what it's really supposed to be like, why would we even get married?" Because, you know, they, they'd seen so many marriages break up. It, it was just more common than people staying together, just like it is today. But Jesus said, "If you can accept this, and he used this word several times in that paragraph, and he wasn't just talking about if you can accept the idea that." that that you can be happy being single, which you can. But what he was saying, he was, he was using this phrase, if you can accept it, and the Greek word really means, and it's this beautiful word, it means to make room in your heart. To make room in your heart for Jesus' view of things, and that he can heal us so we can move towards that view and that, that view becoming the reality in the world and in our lives. So let's go back for a second. Think of, for a second, back to the greco Roman world. Think of the pain that that view of marriage and that practice of marriage, that view of family caused. Think of the pain. And people just lived with it. They just live with the unrelenting pain of brokenness in family and in marriage. And all the consequences of it that went from generation to generation to generation to generation. generation. And it keeps compounding, doesn't it? And what happens when you have emotional pain is you act out in in ways that often can become self-destructive. People who are hurting do all kinds of things to hurt themselves and hurt others. And then when someone who's hurt hurts you, you pass the hurt along. And there's just these ripples of pain. And and Jesus is looking at the crowds. And he would look at the crowds. He would look at us. and, And he would feel compassion on us because he could see on people's faces the pain that they carried. He could see in their posture. He could see in the way that they just... They, they, they stood their body language with other people around them. He could see what sin does. Sin causes pain, and then pain causes more pain and more pain, and then pain begins to disintegrate. Because one of the things the Bible says about sin is, sin is uncreation. Righteousness and love brings life. Sin uncreates. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I spoke earlier. Sin isn't uncreation. Sin causes uncreation. It causes things cause the, uh, to, that are whole to disintegrate, to come apart. And God made all kinds of things to be whole because they bring life when they're whole. And when they come apart... They bring pain, and they bring further disintegration. And so Jesus comes into that situation, and he's going to address it. He's going to bring healing. Because the word heal, there's several words that are translated heal. They all mean to save, to restore. And healing is, is integrating. It brings things that are disconnected and apart back together again. And Jesus doesn't just bring the pieces back together again, and it just still all looks all fractured, and it's useless. Like, you know, you shatter a piece of pottery. Jesus, some people think Jesus heals it. He just brings it back together again, and he kind of glues it all back together again. But if you pour any water in there, just, just, you know, just leaking out. It's not, okay, that was a cool idea that, you know, Jesus could put all those pieces together again, but it's not whole. No, Jesus makes us whole. Over and over and over, that's what the gospels say. Like, like Donna praying for that guy, that's, what, that's just a picture. God wants to make things whole. He said, three minutes later, the pain was gone. That's whole. So the, Jesus challenged this view and said, guys, men, this is not God's way. God's way is that men and, men and women are treated with equal dignity and they have equal rights and that men begin to love their wives the way they love themselves. And you know, you've read, if you've read Ephesians, Paul talks about that and he, and he takes that, the idea of what husbands and wives are supposed to be and he says, it's like Jesus in the church and how Jesus gave his life for us. And so he's saying to all the men who had all the power, use your power to show love to your wife, and to all women, and to everybody that's weaker, including your children. Don't just use your wife as some, you know, uh, in their culture, your wife was arm candy. That you see a, a lot of powerful uh, men who will uh, marry someone who's younger to make them look good. What on earth is that about? How degrading for that person that they feel like that's my option. And see, in that world at that time, when you divorced a woman, because women didn't have the rights and opportunities, what what would, what would women face? Poverty? Prostitution? They become slaves. They were slaves, but they were slaves with the family. Now, they don't have any of that. What did their kids feel like? What did that say to the children? What kind of culture did that perpetuate? It was bad. Do you understand? That's why Jesus came in and he challenged it. And so, yay, Jesus, right? That's why we follow him, right? Yay, Jesus. When I read that, that's why I thought, yay, Jesus. Jesus is my hero. But what does that have to say to us? Because that's the point. That's what we have to get down to. This is where healing and testing come in again. Because he wants to come and heal us. Because whether you can see it or not, Jesus's view of what marriage and family are supposed to be is really different than what ours is now in America, and our culture. It is. And it is, it is different than what the church is, the, the culture of the church. Uh, I marry people all the time. And when we're, you know, we get to the point where we, we, I'm doing premarital conversations with them, and they want to talk about they want to talk about their vows, and they want to you know honestly if, if, if any if, if any of you, if this is about you i 'm not thinking of anybody in our church i 'm thinking of a young couple recently that uh, in the last couple of years that I married that doesn 't go to our church, so don 't think this is about you but it, but if this if this fits you, you should feel humbled by what i 'm about to say <laughs> and they come back with I, I go okay here's some vows, you know like this is what people for generations have used. And they look at the vows, they go, okay, cool. And they come back and they we kind of tweak them a little bit. And so part of your vows are, uh, there are these hardcore vows are are serious. They're serious commitments. You understand? For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Come on, man. <laughs> and they'll, come back. they'll look at those and they come back and they rewrite them and go, I promise to go on long walks in the park with you. you know? <laughs> I promise to have a date night every week. You know, I promise to scratch your back where you can't reach. You know, and I just think, man, that's not going to make it through six months. If that's your level of commitment, just don't do it. Because that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? He said, This is a big thing. And what Jesus was saying was, and, and there's always two views of marriage in the world. And I'm not overgeneralizing. I can, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to make, take, make this into a fine point. But there's two views of marriage in the world. There's, there's the view, I'm even going to be more specific in here in a second. There's a covenant view of marriage which was G- what Jesus is talking about, that has a, a, a purpose that Jesus said, for this reason, you get married. And then there's the companionship view. And the covenant view is very specific. The companionship view just covers every kind of ground you could think of. And so Jesus says, this covenant view is what you're made for. This is, this is what God made Humanity for. but it's demanding, it's challenging. Now let me tell you a, a technical way of saying is this: Jesus taught that marriage was an exclusive, like, lifelong, comprehensive, covenant relationship between one man and one woman that was ordered towards bringing life into the world and nurturing it, children. So what he was saying was marriage had four purposes, partnership, procreation, perfection, you know, perfecting growth, maturing of the person, and pleasure. We, and all the other views of marriage, take two of those out and say it's about companionship and, and this intense emotional thing and about sex. When you do that, that is not marriage. Now I'm not saying people get into marriage and that's what they're about, but I'm just saying if you don't understand why Jesus described it this way, it's not marriage if it's not what he said. And so Jesus, when they came and said, Can't a man marry, you know, divorce his wife and marry someone for is there any reason? And Jesus said no, except for covenant unfaithfulness, adultery, and then Paul added abandonment. And so the point is, it's not a slippery slope, but there are reasons why people, when the marriage covenant is broken, can get divorced. But what it's not supposed to be is a relationship of convenience, consumer convenience, that when we tire with each other, tire of each other, we just move on. That's not what a marriage is. So, Rodney Rodney Clark said that uh, with the arrival of Christianity, the status of women within marriage began to change. His obligations were placed on husbands. Christians condemned promiscuity in men as well as in women and stressed the obligations of husbands towards wives as well as those wives towards husbands. The symmetry of this relationship Paul described was at total variance, not only with the pagan culture, but with Jewish culture as well. Stark further shows that Christianity began recognizing women as equal yet complementary to men, all being sacred in the eyes of God. Christian wives did not have abortions, neither did Jewish wives. In the ancient world, only pagan people had abortions. Christians didn't, Jews didn't. That didn't mean there, there wasn't a Christian who didn't at some point, but they condemned it. They believed that Life was, was sacred, and you shouldn't take it. Uh, Christians opposed infanticide, polygamy, incest, divorce, adultery, all of which pro- prohibitions added to the well-being of women. No longer servants to men, women had dignity, could choose their own husbands, enjoyed better marriages, served as leaders in the rapidly going, growing Christian communities. Christian women married at older ages than pagan women and into more secure families. If widowed, they were not forced to remarry. And if needy, they were given assistance. Jesus, the Jesus movement, brought a revolution in their culture. He changed it. And he said, This is not just for men. And it's not just for pleasure. Because what you could say is, Well, what if whoever and I want to marry, we just want to be companions and just have sex? Um, and if we, we both agree, we can have sex outside marriage with other partners. Because polyamory is is, a serious, is being seriously discussed and practiced all over America right now, if you don't know that. Oberkfell said marriage is now whatever you mean it to be, and now it's becoming whatever people mean it to be. But that's the companionship model. And there, it, that all started 50 years ago without going to a diatribe. When the sexual revolution hit, The first thing that happened was the marriage culture was attacked and undermined by no-fault divorce. And if you think that no-fault divorce has been good for us, I don't know what cave you've been living in. If you think no-fault divorce has been good for children, you're blind to the chaos that's in our culture right now. And we're at the point where over half the kids being born are being born to a mom, a single mom. That is a recipe for disaster. I've said this many, many times. Jesus was saying that in this, to this culture because they were already experiencing that. So, over and over and over, when you look at sexual ethics in the Bible, they flow from Genesis 1 and 2. All sexual ethics, you, you, any rule you see in the Bible that speaks to any kind of sexual relationship, it all falls under and flows from this idea of what marriage is and what sex is for. And here's what research says consistently. This covenant form of marriage where children grow up with their, both their biological parents in a stable home, a lifelong commitment is better than every other form of marriage that we try. Now, I know life happens and people get stuck in situations and you have to raise kids in that, but research says kids, are, kids don't turn out as well in, in this other form of marriage that's so widely practiced now. In so many different forms, they don't. It's, it's, an, it's an incontrovertible fact now. We know it. And it's not, it's, there's, there's not as much research, because it takes a while, because same-sex relationships are, are, are a new thing. But all the early research is saying the same thing. They're not any better than step homes, single-parent homes, polygamous homes, whatever. Every form doesn't work as well. And again, that's not to heap shame on any of us. So, I want to belabor that. So, why did Moses allow for divorce? Because their hearts were hard, and that's always our problem. The disciples, uh, oh, what about all the variations of family in the Bible? Because this is a, a, a challenge that people often bring to me. When we start talking about this, they go, well, what? John, you know, you, you, you're pretty narrow minded about <laughs> all, but well, doesn't love make a family? How many of you have heard that phrase before? Doesn't love make a family? Some of you are, uh, this could get you in trouble, you know, if you nod your head on this one. Uh, is there any cameras in here? Are people going to see me if I say I've heard that before? Love doesn't make a family. It doesn't. The configuration of a family is at the heart of what makes a family. Now, love needs to be a part of everything. But I want to tell you something. That's why when Jesus was asked this question... They, they could have, he didn't ask, well, that guy that divorced his wife, does he really love his new wife? Did, did he just not love his old wife? And so it's okay then. It's okay. He didn't say that. When Paul heard in the church at Corinth that there was a, 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 a young man who was in some kind of cohabiting marriage relationship with his father's wife, He didn't say, oh, do they love each other? It's cool if they love each other. You guys just need to be cool with that. He didn't say that. He said, this is wrong. And you need to challenge that. Now, I want to tell you something. When we're talking about this, there's three ways that we can be thinking, and you might not be thinking with me as as I'm talking about this. A professor at Boston College said when we talk about issues related to family and and." sexual policy and things. There's public policy, there's pastoral care, and there's personal ethics. And all three are important. I'm not talking to you about public policy here. Do you understand? I'm not arguing uh, it, it, It's this point at all about we should rise up and do certain things in our society and which might be call for in light of this but what I'm saying in terms of personal ethics which is where we all live Jesus is addressing something with those people and saying if, 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 if you were to please God he has a view of what family and marriage is and Jesus says to get, to get to the bottom line he says I want you to make room in your hearts for this make room in your hearts for this And do you hear what he's saying? He said to them, you've got this other view in your heart and you've hardened your heart and you're testing me and I'm coming to heal you of that hardened heart. But for me to heal you, you have to open your heart up to me and to what I'm teaching you. And if you do, I will come. And, and, And the only way you can do it is to reposition yourself like the little children who come to Jesus and he blesses them. He puts his hands on them and he blesses them. Do you see the picture? This little story just seems like a throw-in at the end of this story. It's just like, this is all tense and, oh my gosh, you know, two people are just, they're arguing it out. And Jesus, I mean, Matthew in his wisdom just said, That's not how it is. I was there, let me tell you. I I think I'm just going to tell you the story about the little children because it happened right in the end of it. And Jesus just, it must have been something that he put together because it just so spoke to all of us in that situation. But the disciples, the disciples said to Jesus, if this is the way it is, like that we get what we want and they don't, I mean, if, if if we can't get what we want, and, and, and they get what we want too, I don't know if I want marriage. I mean, can you imagine if that comes out of the disciples? I want a marriage where I get what I want all the time, and my wife doesn't. The disciples were saying that. They don't come off looking very good here. And then the next thing they do, the children are coming to Jesus, and they're trying to push the kids away. This is us, because... We think our view of marriage is okay. I can be selfish. In fact, now I've worked out a way where I can be selfish and you can be selfish. Husbands and wives can both be selfish. And when we just we wear each other out, we can move on. And Jesus is going, that damages you. And it damages other people. And it damages, if you have children, it really damages your children. And so he says... I got a better idea, but you have to make room in your heart for it. You have to be willing to to become like a child again. Now, he's he's asking you, I'm going to close with this. He's asking you if you want a new start. He says, I can make it happen. Because... I know this as as well as anybody. Hardness of heart comes when I sin and other people sin against me. I harden my heart when I don't know what to do with how much it hurts. I become self-protective and I become stubborn. And I start trying to figure out how can I get what I need in a world that's not very safe in a world that clearly doesn't care about me, in a world that tells me all your hope is is to getting into a relationship where both of you agree you both are going to be selfish until it rips everything up, and then you just move on. That is a disastrous idea. And you see the pain in our culture because of it. And and in the church, these young couples come to me, and when I ask them, do you understand what covenant is? Do you understand what you're getting into? They've bought into this companionship idea. That's what they say to me. Well, you know, we, we're open to the idea that this might not work out, and we're going to both move on. Like, we can be in a head-on car accident at 100 miles an hour, and after, you know, taking a few aspirin, we'll get right back in the car again. And it'll just be okay. And and it's like, no, 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 no. It won't work like that. And so Jesus is saying, because the disciples have been hurt by their view of marriage and their parents' view of marriage and their parents' parents' parents. And it shows in how they're treating those children. And our view of marriage shows in how we treat our kids today. How hard-hearted we are towards our children. You know, I read just last night These things just pop up on my news feed, and they're like little revelations from God. A recent research in the UK showed that the average parent spends five hours a week face-to-face with their child. Do you think this way we believe in family is working? Do you think that that's not going to produce a generation of kids whose lives are wrecked? And it comes from our view of what marriage and family are. And there's, in Romans 8, it says, and we we have to get in touch with this. We put this little microphone up here because I think it. at times when we get in God's presence, we can get in touch with things and then we can pray them back to God. And God will answer our prayers. But the Bible says in Romans 8 that all creation is groaning for the revelation of the children of God. The people who have opened their hearts up to Jesus for that healing, they've recognized their hearts are hard. And it's just devastating everything around them and they're going Jesus help me meet me here I am but to become like a child again means that you're letting go of this is a progressive journey that you're letting go of your defensiveness and your stubborn I'm gonna do it my way and you're following Jesus and when you fall, you get up again and go, I want to be open-hearted like a child as a way of life. And I've, I've said this to you guys over and over and over. And I'm telling you, you're going to stand before the Lord one day and you're going to hear him say, you didn't listen to John. I'm No, 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 I'm not, I, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a laugh line. Seriously, I know it sounded like one of my laugh lines. It's not. He's going to say, he told you, because... He told you what was good for you. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm working on this big time. I need to work on this big time. But I want to take communion today. This is going to be performing a miracle not to knock the candles over. When we take the Lord's Supper, which I'm really grateful nobody went up and took it. we didn't tell you, don't take it during communion, I mean, during the service until the end. The cross says that Jesus took all the pain we've experienced and all the pain that we've caused and all the, the, the consequences and all the judgment of God. He alone took it. And he says if we look to him, On the cross, we come to him acknowledging, repenting, acknowledging our hearts are hard. We bought into an idea that's just destructive, and and it's just harmed so many people. And we don't want to be a part of that anymore. We want to change. We repent and believe that he begins to come to us like Adam and Eve, and he blesses us. And says, I want to heal you. I want to heal you. And every one of us need to experience that healing over and over and over. At deeper and deeper and deeper deeper levels. And so I don't want you to hear condemnation in this. Because we're all condemned. We're all a part of this. There's just nobody who's escaped it. There, if there was someone here that's been married. I, like, I had a family member who was married seven times. That's the family I came from. Now, my mom and dad were one of the only couples on either sides of my parents that weren't, were only married once. But my mom and dad bruised me deeply because they were broken and perfect people. And their hardness of heart and the way they related, even though they stayed married their whole life, that hurt me. And I grew up and I hurt people. And people I hurt hurt people. And I'm still hurting people. I'm still healing from that. And I'm coming to this table. I'm coming to the cross and saying, I want to become like a child. And I I want to let Jesus' view of what life is supposed to be like into my heart at as deep a level as I can receive it. And I want to turn from perpetuating this broken Model for family and relationships and marriage. And I want Jesus to bless me so I can be a life giver in the world. I can be around people who who their family is is a mess and they're struggling. And I can offer them hope that there's hope in Jesus. And there's there's a different way and a better way than what they know. And so there's a cry, I think, that's in a lot of our hearts. And we don't know it's this cry to become, to, to be healed and to, and to open our hearts up for Jesus. We don't know it's a cry at the distress that we see around us, but that's what it is. The Spirit is crying out through us and we're misinterpreting it. And, and I believe the Lord wants to bring healing in profound ways, and so... If the, if the people who are going to help out and pass out the community almost could come up here, and then the band, you guys could come. All the songs today were just prophetic without the band knowing anything about what we are going to talk about. And even though one of the songs says we're sinners, we're not sinners. We're we're, we're forgiven child of God, but we choose to sin. And we run, and we get tangled up in lies, and we hide. And we just do it because we're afraid, we're hurting little children. And so this tells us we're beloved children, but it means we have to acknowledge that we've sinned. And it means that we're coming knowing that sin messes things up, and that we want to be healed from it. We want to be saved from it. So as you come forward today to take the elements, before we do, I want to just pray together and just acknowledge that Jesus died because of our sins, because of your sins and your hardness of heart. And when you come to this table, he's inviting you into his brokenness and to leave your brokenness here, and he's inviting you to begin to experience his healing. He's not blaming you. He took the blame. There's no blame left. Jesus took it all. He's just holding his hand out to you now and saying, Make room in your heart for my vision for your life and for our world. Become like a child and follow me. Let me bless you like I blessed Adam and Eve. I'm going to bless you and you're going to become something that you can't become on your own. And you won't become if you stay on the trajectory you're on. Why don't you stand with me? Father, uh, thank you for the story and how uh, Jesus came and he comes today here to to speak to us, to to show us that there's a better way. Thank you for that. We are so trapped in our thinking, the, the thinking of the world around us. And we, as we come before you, we confess that we've sinned. We confess that our hearts have hardened. We confess we want an arrangement in the family where we get what we want. And we have to give as little as possible. Forgive us for the pain that we've caused with our sins and our disobedience and our ignorance and our selfishness. We thank you, Father, that you've put all that on Jesus. And we, as we confess it, we thank you that all the blame, all the consequences, all the evil and darkness is uh, of ours is put on him. As each of you stand here with me, as you... as to the degree you've opened your hearts up, I say in Jesus' name, you're forgiven. That you are not condemned and you are not blamed for what you've done. That blame does not rest on you. That shame does not rest on you. And I say you are forgiven and you are beloved and accepted as a child of God. You're not second class. You're not broken goods. You're his delight. And I bless you that as you take these elements that healing would begin. A new kind of healing would begin in your hearts and even in your bodies. May the Holy Spirit bring healing And Lord, we, as we stand here together, we just cry it to you together uh, for our nation, Lord, for the family, for marriage, for people, for singles, for everybody, Lord, that you would rescue us from this dilemma, from this disaster that we've caused. We brought it on ourselves. We ask that you just raise up your voice here in the nation and begin to send healing words, Lord. Send them through whatever means you choose. We pray that that our community here would be a healing community where people like little children could come to you and experience your blessing and your healing and a new beginning. And we thank you for this this morning, Lord. We take your body and your blood and we rejoice in the gift of your new life that you give us as we come to you again this morning.